0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I wonder if you've ever experienced that kind of feeling, the stress of gift-giving at Christmas. Over the years, I've spent countless Christmases walking around the shops in clueless confusion trying to think of things to buy for the people I love. Well, when I say Christmas, I mean Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah. And when I say the people I love, I mean Zoe. <laughs> but isn't that hard enough? Does anybody else have that one person... In your family, who is incredibly difficult to buy for. Hands are going up all over the place. For me, it's Zoe. And to be honest, like I said, she's the only person I have to buy for. (laughs) But it's still hard. The thing is, actually, if I say, what do you want? She doesn't really want anything. And if I say, what do you need? She doesn't really need anything. A few years ago, I actually bought her something that I thought she would need, which was some casserole dishes. And it turned out it wasn't what she wanted. Anybody else feeling my pain? Am I getting any sympathy? Only from men, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Why do we invite so much stress into our lives at an already stressful time of the year? So what about if we step back from it for a minute? And isn't it a bit crazy that most of us spend this... You know, we have to make this annual decisions about spending so much money ridiculous amounts of money on Christmas presents It's traditional it's what we Brits do now to celebrate Christmas we spend lots of money that we don't have to accrue debts that we can't really pay to try and prove in some way our love for people by buying them gifts and the bigger and more expensive the better in a recent survey over 60% of us said that they spend 100 to 200 pounds on gifts for their partner but on their kids even more, with 58% of parents saying that they'd spend between one and 300 pounds on gifts per child. Some of the kids are smiling at this. Well, and I'm not trying to be scrooge. I'm not trying to point the finger or make anybody feel guilty, because if I'm pointing the finger about this, I'm pointing it right here. I know many of us have already done an awful lot of shopping and you've already done a lot of spending and you might feel a little bit too late, but actually what I don't want to do, I don't want to make you feel guilty. I want to make you feel free today. In the second part of this series that we're calling the Advent Adventure I want to give each one of us permission to do it differently permission to be kind of a countercultural permission to spend less this Christmas Advent marks four weeks in the run-up to Christmas to kind of get yourself ready for Christmas. And we're saying we want to approach Christmas differently this year. If you were here last week, we talked about how we want to worship God fully. We want to fix our intention on who Jesus is and what Christmas is actually really all about. And the truth is, so many people get so busy and spend so much time engaged with so much effort and energy on the demands of this time of year, but they miss Christmas completely. It's like the, the film is made of the greatest story ever told and we fast forward all the way through the film and just watch the adverts. We can become so consumed with consuming, so preoccupied with presence, so pressured by preparations that we actually miss it and it's kind of been and gone and then we're like, well, what happened? And we miss the fact that the real thing the the infant king the infinite infant came to be with us to save us to love us to demonstrate and and show us that he's the savior that's why at christmas Actually, all through Ivy, the one, what, about this time of year, we talk about something we call the first fruits offering. And we take it in mid-January. Last year, you were so generous that we were actually able to completely redo the old part of the Ivy building. It's, the work is happening now as I speak, and it's going to be soon finished, and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be absolutely amazing. People are just working around the clock to help to make that happen. And this is to say, if you know, if you know who it's about... Then surely you don't have to live as if somebody who, who the same as somebody who doesn't know who it's all about. So we say, why don't you rein it in a little bit at Christmas? And there's a sign of faith and love for God in the future. You give it in in the new year. We've been able to do all kinds of things as a church as a result of people doing that. Actually, the CAP ministry, I think, pretty much got started because of fr- first fruits. WTC and uh, all these different things all got started because of first fruits in the year. So. It's better to start that way in 2017, I guarantee it, than how often a lot of people do, which is when they get their credit card bills and they've got an empty bank account and all the r- empty wrapping paper's gone off to be recycled or been in the bin somewhere. And they're like looking at the stuff that they've got and they're thinking, how am I going to afford that? And how am I going to pay this off? And they start off the rest of the year miserable as a result of the, the joys of the season. And they miss Christmas. The thing is, we're not the first generation to miss Christmas. If we, if we realise it, I talked about this last week, the first Advent, millions of people who were alive at that time missed out on Christmas. There was only a few people who actually realised what God was doing and paid their full attention to it and didn't miss it. So what we're saying is, during this Advent adventure, we're going to try and put ourselves in their shoes, look through their eyes, and, and look through the eyes of the people who did catch what was going on, and look at the story through their eyes so that we don't miss it either. And one of them is a guy who really, with all that was going on in his world, could have missed it completely. He had an awful lot of pressure and tension going on in his life. His name was Joseph. This is what the Bible says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. So Joseph was engaged to Mary. Unlike engagements in our day, in that time and that culture, an engagement was a solemn, covenantal, contractual agreement between families that could only be undone by death or divorce. To, to be engaged in that day, you didn't enter into it lightly, you basically were saying that you were going to be exclusively bound together to one person of the opposite sex for life. That's what it meant. And you were going to live as if you were already married. And really, the marriage ceremony was just a consummation. They basically, believe it or not, a lot of the family would stand around while you went into the bedroom and come out and cheer when you came out. That's what a big part of the wedding ceremony was all about. Fancy having your mother-in-law outside the door. It's all a bit (laughs) off point. Something happened, though. She was found, it says, to be pregnant... Through the Holy Spirit. Now, it might be easy for us to skim right past that statement, because for many of us, this story is so very familiar. But instead, let's stop and pause and notice. Sorry, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, okay, leave it on. Yeah. See, this was a major life-changing deal for Joseph. Mary was found to be what? Mary was found to be how? Mary was found to be who? Because it ain't me. That's the one thing he knows for sure, I am not the daddy. So again, put yourself in his shoes, look through his eyes for a minute. Think about this, the woman you love, the, way, the woman you've been saving yourself for, the woman you've been saving everything for, the woman you're building a house for, because the idea would be that during the time you were engaged, you would build a house, and at the end of it, the father of the bride would come along and inspect the house, and then he would say, now everything is ready and the, and the, 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 the wedding can begin. You've done all of that and now you find out there's no possible way that you can be the father but she's pregnant. What's his emotions gonna be like? Is he gonna be embarrassed? Yes. Is he gonna be feeling used and confused and foolish and uh, inadequate and betrayed and angry and questioning everything about himself and about Mary and about the future. He's gonna be wondering how he got into this situation and he starts to wonder how can he get out of this situation and the turmoil really would have been plenty of reason for Joseph to miss out that first Christmas. If he just went by how he felt, any reasonable person would have thought twice about sticking around. And Joseph, the reading says, did think twice because he was an ordinary, normal man. And another huge factor would have weighed heavily on him, not just how he thought or how he felt, but actually the culture around him. Nobody would have expected Joseph to stand by Mary. Not his parents, not her parents, in fact, there would have been not one neighbour in the village, not the priest who ran the synagogue, nobody would have expected him. In fact, there would have been intense pressure for him to do exactly the opposite and to leave her. In that culture, you see, where unlike our day, virginity was highly prized, what everybody assumed Mary had done was an unforgivable sin. According to the societal norms of the day, even if Joseph wanted to give her another chance and say it doesn't matter, the fact that he was saying it doesn't matter would be dishonorable to him. He would be dishonoring himself by saying it doesn't matter. In fact, laws were put in place to enable to make sure that didn't happen. The wrongdoing needed to be punished. It actually demanded that a divorce would take place, the engagement would be broken off because she was guilty of adultery. She'd broken the covenant and he was obligated to leave her. If not, he would lose his status, his standing in the community. Massive pressure on him from the culture around him with regard to this relationship and how it was meant to be played out. And there really was a chance, we know this, that the community would stone her to death. It happened in those times. It might be hard for us to grasp that that Middle Eastern culture of the time and the pressure that was on the nearest we can get to it these days is these terrible events we sometimes unfortunately read about in our headlines which get called wrongly an honour killing there's no honour in murder for the man who refused to divorce an unfaithful wife would be seen to be a man without honour for himself somebody who didn't care about his own name somebody who didn't care about his family culture would brand him as wrong, as immoral for condoning her infidelity. He would be despised for letting his love for Mary outweigh his honour in doing the right thing, the decent thing, by getting rid of her, by divorcing her quietly. That's what he decided he was going to do, quietly. He wasn't going to make a big show of it. That was what his feelings and the morality and the law all said he should do. Joseph had every right to walk away what do you do in that moment when the pressure is on you of culture with regard to how you live? Well, he actually decided to do something. He says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He was faithful to the law. Notice that. And yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was going to do what the culture and the law said with regard to his relationships. He didn't want to punish her, but he didn't want her either. Everyone in his society would have cheered him on for going along with what culture and the law said with regard to that relationship. But then, as is so often the way, God spoke and said something unexpected that was not the way the culture did it. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, "'Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid.' that's the refrain of christmas over and over and over again do not be afraid to take mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name jesus because he will save his people from their sins are you one of his people anybody here one of his people you know if you're one of his people, if he saved you from your sins, by the way. And earlier, Ben gave an opportunity for that to happen. I don't know if anybody put the hand up, but at the end of this, before we're done, you're gonna get the opportunity again. I'm gonna invite Ben to give you that opportunity again. Maybe you were like, well, does he really mean it now? And can I think it through? Well, I, I don't want anybody to go out the door today without the opportunity to know that you are one of his people. And, and if you think, well, your sin's gonna hold me back, guess what, he wants to save you from your sins. So that's not a problem. He'll deal with it, He's dealt with it at the cross. So you can give your life fully to him today without any wonder about how do I do it. It isn't about you it's about you giving yourself to him and recognising he's the one who saves you from your sins but you have to ask him, somebody had a vision yesterday, believe it or not, they were praying, there was a group of people, last Sunday we had baptism service, amazing stories ten different people, people who've been in prison and, and all kinds of stuff that was going on and all the same story was this, Jesus help me, Jesus save me somebody who's been coming to the church for three years, never quite got it, never crossed the line of faith, yesterday was in a meeting with a few people, was talking to them and they said, you know what, I don't know if I know Jesus and they prayed and he said he had a vision of Jesus coming to him Jesus was there and he was holding out a present for him but he was like I don't know what to do and they said take it take it it's no good Jesus is there just holding it out for you you've got to take it and he said when he took it When he said, Yes, Jesus, I want what you've got. It was like the power of God came into his life and everything's changed. And he got up a new man. He's a different man. People said they could see the difference. That can happen to you today, but it's no good as just telling you about it. If you don't do anything about it, there's a gift. It's no good unless you take it. So Joseph gets the, the DNA test results in it's divine DNA. Who is the dad? God says, "I am." God says, "I am a lot," in the Bible. So Joseph, God says, "You are to marry this girl. You are to adopt the baby as your own. She's going to be. This is going to be your child. His name is Jesus." You're to raise him. Notice this was a dream. How clear would it have to be for you to change everything in your life based upon a dream? Mary needed a man who would have that kind of faith. She needed somebody to be man enough to have faith enough to be able to believe the dream. And he proves himself to be that kind of man and to have that kind of character. How? I'll tell you, because despite what culture says, despite what everybody else around him says, despite even what the law says, he does what God says with regard to his relationship. He deserves at least a larger whoop than that one. He does what God says. He takes Mary home to be his wife. Now, what I want to see, and just to underline this, is that Joseph's decision at that time was totally countercultural, But he did it anyway. As a result of what he believed God had said, Joseph lived a life from then on that was totally different than the norms and the expectations and the sexual and relational ethics and even the laws of his day. And it would have cost him to do that. It would have cost him dearly. His friends and family, people that he worked with, probably thought he was crazy. He would have been shamed. He could have been ostracised. He would have been condemned. Nobody went around saying, well done, Joseph. He was not revered. He was reviled. But he did it anyway because he did what God said. Not what other people thought. He lived counterculturally, And as a result of that, he didn't miss Christmas. He didn't miss Jesus he didn't just follow culture he followed Christ he made a purposeful intentional decision to go with the Word of God not with the word of everybody else and he was blessed Jesus got a dad and Joseph got a savior now the world doesn't actually change that much because there are always times Always ways in which what Christians believe God says runs counter to what the culture says and believes. This is a tension that will never ever go away. And we have to look at the Bible for ourselves and live in the tension of that truth. Where if we say we are followers of Christ, we look closely at what the Bible says and we decide, with the benefit of the Holy Spirit guiding us, As we interpret the Bible, how do I faithfully live according to the word of God? That's what a Christian is. Somebody's doing that. Not based upon how I feel. Not based upon what other people think. Not based upon what culture says. Not even based upon what the law says. There's always pressure around that. There's always been pressure, there will always be pressure on that. The early ch- church faced it with regard to them even being allowed to say the name of Jesus. There was pressure on them not to do that. Just bring your religion along, add it into all of the others too, just don't mention the name of Jesus. Did you know what Peter said? We must obey God and not man. Now unfortunately, the way this is sometimes played out is that the church has actually been critical of various things that culture embraces without question, while at the same time we have easily and uncritically gone along with all kinds of other things that the culture celebrates. And that's a problem. Do you understand what I'm getting at? We have not lived differently than anybody else, but then we've pointed at other people that we think should live differently... And criticize them because of what we say we believe. We said, you should live differently. And they said, no, you're not. We've just lived the same as the world in all kinds of different ways. And the world has said, really? So here's an example. We live in a culture where the norm is excessive consumerism and consumption. And the Christmas season often reveals and highlights that in the most remarkable, shocking ways. We sing, Christ is enough for me. Then we go out to the shops and we are suckered in by the marketing. We end up overeating, booze sozzled just in with the shopping tide the same as everybody else and before very long we've blown it all on the greatest latest gadgets for ourselves and for the kids and all the bargain deals leading up to Christmas what if we decided as Christians to live differently two people think that's a good idea they both happen to be in the same family which is a bit interesting what if we said no to excess this season what if we made an intentional decision, and it's still not too late, to resist the pull of the crazy consumerist culture around us? What if we made a commitment to spend less? In a world where so many people have nothing, in a world where so many people have so little, can we do what my friend Jay John says? What if we decided to live simply so others could simply live? The average debt for families is spiraling faster and faster now. It stands at £13,520, which is a climb, believe it or not, of £4,000 up in a year from last year. That's almost a 30% rise year on year. So for you and me to spend less this Christmas would be incredibly countercultural, and some people would say, What are you doing? How come? Some family, some friends wouldn't understand. They might even call you for it. Can you live with that? In our hearts we would do it, not because we were trying to be stingy, but because we realise that we're following Christ, we're not following consumerism. And very often the two are going in completely a different direction. It's not the way that God would celebrate have us celebrate the birth of his son that we just go in line with the way everybody else celebrates it. Could less be more? Could opting out of some of the excesses of our cultural Christmas actually be a spiritual discipline to enable us to grow our hearts in some way this Christmas and give us a chance to actually experience more of what Christmas really is? Now I'm not saying don't buy any Christmas gifts for the people who are most important in your life, and the person next to you perhaps just smiled at that point and said it's okay, or the teenager's sighed relief. In fact, next week we're going to talk about how giving is such an important and special thing, but what I want to ask you the question is, that, you know, people often say, how are you spending Christmas? Let me ask. Let's take an honest look at that, how we're spending this Christmas. The projected average a family will spend this Christmas is £809 for food, drink, Travel, decorations and gifts. And gifts will account for 60% of the spend. Whether now £800 and odd pounds is miles less or miles more than you expect to spend, how often do we stop and ask ourselves why? What are we really trying to buy? What is it we're really looking for in the shops? Maybe we're looking actually for happiness. I feel a bit down. I think I'll go out, get to the Trafford Centre. As if. As if you ever came back from there feeling happier. <laughs> Adults in the UK receive £2.6 billion worth of unwanted gifts at Christmas, according to 2014 research maybe you're not looking maybe you're looking for recognition maybe you're looking to try and impress people with the things that we've bought some people do that let's not kid ourselves maybe we're looking for identity in the things that we buy maybe maybe we're actually we're feeling the pressure to demonstrate how much we love this people these people around us or whatever by what we spend on our gift giving all of these thoughts are tapped into don't miss it by advertisers and by all kinds of pressure around you to be that kind of person and to spend your money that way. And then we end up getting conned again by consumerism and by consumption and by just not even considering what we're doing. Let's not forget the baby in the manger grew up and when he did, he said this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Great writer called Tim Keller writes this, I'm gonna read it, it's quite long. Switch yourself on, turn to the person next to you say, just like, nudge them, wake up, because this is important, okay? This is what he says, this is a lot better than anything I've said so far. Innumerable thinkers have been pointing out that the culture of greed that has been eating our souls has brought about economic collapse. Yet no one thinks change is round the corner, why not? Because greed and avarice are especially hard to see in ourselves. Years ago, Tim Keller says, I was doing a seven-part series of talks on the seven deadly sins. My wife told me, I bet the week you deal with greed, you'll have the lowest attendance. And she was right. People packed it out for lust and wrath and even pride, but nobody thinks they're greedy. As a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall ever having anybody, somebody come to me and say, I spend too much money on myself. Or, I think my greed is harming my family or my soul and some people around me. This is the line, greed hides itself in the victim. The human heart always wants to justify itself. Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex, yet almost nobody thinks they're guilty of it. If greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be confident that it's not a problem for them. Jesus didn't say, watch out, be careful you're not committing adultery. He doesn't have to. When you're in bed with someone's spouse, you know it. Halfway through, you don't think, oh, wait a minute, I think this might be adultery. You know it is. Yet, even though it's clear that the world is filled with greed and materialism, almost nobody thinks it's true of them. Wow. That book's called Counterfeit Gods, because what he's saying is, all this stuff is really idolatry. So this is linked to the worshipping fully. I'm going to give you three ideas. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, that's fine, but what do I actually do? Three ideas, and then we're done. To really put this into practice. Number one, spend wisely. That means don't spend beyond your means. Have a budget, and don't budge it. Hey. And I know, I know the B word sounds like don't have any fun, but that isn't it. Basically, a budget is you telling your money where to go so you don't wonder where it all went. Setting a budget doesn't mean you can't have fun, doesn't mean you can't have a party, doesn't mean you can't buy gifts. It basically means you've decided, you've decided what you're going to spend on it rather than the telly telling you what to spend on it. It means... You just have a plan for Christmas and you decide what you're going to spend and what you're not going to spend. And you stick to that. And you, don't, you stick to it even after Christmas. You don't go and, hey, I've done really well, let's get out on Boxing Day. <laughs> spend wisely. Martin Lewis says this, let your finances rule your lifestyle, not vice versa. The second way to spend less is to spend creatively. Do you ever feel the pressure, especially when parents get this, when you've got kids and maybe several kids, you you want to have the same amount to spend on every child and spend the same amount exactly because then that's being fair. I'll tell you, that's difficult as kids get older. And they want more expensive stuff. I mean, one gift for the oldest child might be as expensive as four gifts for the youngest child. Guess what? You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. I remember when I was a kid, I was walking past a bike shop and I was with my dad, I was walking along, and I said, dad, 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 it's Christmas coming up. He said, yeah, I know, I said, look, I want you to know, I've got my eye on that bike. He said, keep your eye on it, you'll never get your bum on it. (laughs) (laughs) I was in the gym yesterday, there's a guy, his son said to him, he said, he said, dad, what am I getting for Christmas? He said, whatever you want. He said it quite loud, I think he was proud of it. His son said, I want a PS4. He went, yeah, you can have a PS4. I'd rather have my dad than his. Honestly. Because I don't want my kids growing up thinking, Christmas is thinking about, I get, 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 whatever I want, want, want. I don't want my kids growing up thinking that that's what it's about. Hi, right, you know, there's ways we can do it. I read about it on a blog At one family said, what they decided to do, they got the kids involved and they asked them questions. And they said, everybody's going to get one thing you need, like a really sensible winter coat. One thing you want, like some cool Lego. One thing to experience, like you get to choose what everybody else does one day. We all go to the museum, which is free and educational. And something to read, like a comic or an annual or a book. I think I've got those on there for you to have a look at. See, part of the fun in that is getting the kids involved in finding out... How to give and how to receive things creatively. And the joy of opening up the gifts is seeing how creative and personal that other people thought about me as well in their gift giving. Rather than just having what I've seen before, the kids go, ah, done that one, throw that one, ah, next one. That's ah. what I end you know, up, you're like, this little monster's just been created, and guess who created it? You did. One last thing we can do, countercultural this Christmas, is to spend purposefully. Purposefully means we balance our wants with the needs of others in our community and in the world. One of my friends told me a couple of Christmases ago, again, he just saw his kids going crazy, ripping off the wrapping with their teeth and, and just like going on to the next one, next one. And he thought, I don't, that isn't what I want my kids to be all about at Christmas. So they decided actually that week, that year, they'd sponsor a child. They did it through compassion. But that's a purposeful, creative way of doing it. He and, his, and then he and his, and his wife said, how else can we do things to include our kids in spending purposefully to meet the needs of others, not just the wants of ourselves? And they decided that Christmas for them was not going to be about, contrib- about, about consumption and about consumerism. It was going to be about contribution in some way to help other people. See, if you want to do... This. If you want to spend purposefully, I say this really without a shadow of a doubt, Feel free to give to the work of Ivy because, as you've seen, we, we, you don't just give to us, you give through us in all kinds of different ways. And today, especially, you can give it in the offering. In two minutes' time, everybody somewhere near you, you've got an envelope. Can you grab the envelope now and just have a look at it? Whether you intend to give or not, just help me out. Because if you don't put anything in it, take it out with you and, or, and put it, give it in at the end because then we, can, we don't want anybody else to come and tidy up the mess around you. It helps it. Everybody does that. Some of us, you saw the CAP video before, and those amazing stories, and the, all these different lives of individuals. And for years now, ivy have been helping people out of crippling debt, and many people have actually ended up through that becoming followers of Jesus Christ too. So what we're going to ask you to do is, if you're going to give today, whatever you decide to give, put it in the envelope. Don't just put, it, just put some money in the bucket. Put it in the envelope. And if you want to, what I'd like you to do is just write CAP on it. And if you do that, it will go to help Gail with her work. So you could start filling in the envelopes and getting that ready now as I'm carrying on talking. This month alone, Gail has seen clients go debt free. That is amazing. Some of the stories Gail tells me though, because I'm like her direct line manager, honestly, are so heartbreaking. To think about families this Christmas, what, what Christmas would be like for some of them, to me, is unimaginable and intolerable. You watch a video like that earlier and, you, and put up a hand if you kind of thought, you know, how could I help? Anybody put, you know, you just sort of think, how could I help to be part of something like that? Well, some of you could consider becoming a befriender, like there's 29 clients at the moment, locally that she's involved with, 29 clients. So you could go and just be, be a friend to them, go and meet them and encourage them, and so they're not on their own. Some people, some of her clients, she was telling me, this, this weekend, haven't even got, you know you while I'm thinking about what light shall I put outside my house, they haven't even got enough money to, to have heating and light on in the house. Today, you can give to Cap, so that Gail, actually, what we want her to do is to be a little bit like Santa with the elves, and to go around, and, and to get some things for those people for Christmas. Get them a Christmas lunch to help like the lady that she told me about this week and she, she said they never ask. You know, it's like people don't ask when they go around. They're just so appreciative of the help that's given. But one girl, you know, lady, she said, oh, I'd love it if I could have a tree for the, for the kids. That would be it. That would be the best thing I could have for Christmas. She wasn't asking. She was just telling her because Gail had asked what would make Christmas special for you. So if you want, first of all, weigh up what you need and then think about what you want and then think about what you want to do about the needs of others. Because when we spend wisely and creatively and purposefully, we discover that we actually also can spend Christmas joyfully. Like that. Because we're not burdened by the stress of debt, because we've budgeted and we know how much we're going to spend. We don't have to feel guilty because we've got creative gifts we've been involved in. We don't have to fall for the lie that says that your life is made up of the abundance of your possessions. And we find actually what Jesus has said really is true. It's better to give than to receive. And who knows? Don't yeah. So if you want pens, people will stick up your hands. People will come around with the pens. We're not taking up the offering yet. I'm letting you think about it. I'm letting you pray about it. I'm talking to talk to God about what you want to give. Who knows? We might find we want to. Spend our lives in a different way this Christmas and spend Christmas differently. And actually spend less, but find that spending less is more in our lives. And who knows, if we live like that over time, you might decide, actually, I want to live like this, not just at Christmas, but all the time. So you live a first fruits life. You don't just give it in at Christmas, but every month you decide you're going to give your first and best to God next year and from the year on. So in a moment, after I've read this little... um, reading, which you might find familiar from one of my favourite Christmas stories. I'm going to finish with a quote and then if the band could come up now and uh, we're going to take up the the collection. Actually, I think while we start to sing in a moment. So um, here's here's the quote. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes or bags and he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more? We've got a picture of the Grinch, haven't we? On the, uh, no, on there. okay. Let's stand up to pray. Take a moment and fill in the envelope if you want. Nobody's gonna rush that. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand to pray if you're ready to pray, if you want to stand, and uh, if if you're filling an envelope, don't worry about it, but. Thank you, Lord, Christmas means Christ has come to set us free. So that we're free indeed. Lord, we don't want to miss Christmas this year. Please help us to worship fully and spend less so we spend different. Spend a different Christmas this year. So nothing distracts us from the glory of the truth of who you are. That God is with us. God is for us. God has become one of us. Because what we're actually searching for, identity and significance and love, all those things, you don't get from a shop. you only get in the Saviour. The name of our Saviour, the beautiful name of Jesus. going to sing and uh, during the singing if you want to put in uh, an offering in the in the bucket. we don't usually do this as a kind of while well, we're singing thing but i think this is it's it's we're combining the two our worship and our giving in one thing today as we're doing it exactly at the same time thanks for listening for more podcasts go to ivychurch.org forward slash media